0: Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you. Through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Right. What does that mean? It means ownership of something is easier to maintain if a person has possession of it and difficult to enforce if a person does not. For example, the shoes you're wearing are rightfully yours because they're on your feet. You have possession of them. This is the case for most things we own. But it's not always law. You don't loan your car to a friend, and because they're in possession of it while they're driving it, means ownership of the car has been transferred, right? There's some gray area in there in regards to this legal saying. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Possession being nine-tenths of the law is one thing when it comes to personal property. It's another thing when it's applied to large-scale areas, like countries and cities. Case in point, Afghanistan. That country is in chaos and and turmoil right now because some people want to possess it absolutely. The Soviets wanted to possess it absolutely in the 1980s. Turned out badly for them, didn't it? Now the Taliban is giving it a go for a second time. The Soviets were driven by a political ideology and to a large degree faith in their Marxist communist worldview that it was the best thing for Afghanistan and the whole world. The Taliban are driven by a religious faith which causes them to act on the belief that Islam is the best thing for the whole world. Not only that, it's commanded by Allah to impose and enforce onto the world, even by the sword, if need be. As long as people want to possess territory and populations absolutely in this world, we're going to have chaos and war and suffering all over the globe. In a mere five months from now, it was planned for me to lead a tour of the Holy Land, including Jerusalem, five months from now. Well, that ain't happening, is it? You know, I haven't been able to do a thing in preparation for it because of the pandemic. And to a lesser extent, the rocket attacks that happened some months ago. But maybe someday, someday, maybe we can see together what I'm talking about. Jerusalem, that city we hear about so much from the Bible in church, has been the object of possession for more than one millennia. If you've been watching the series on CNN about Jerusalem, one of the scholars who comments on the show makes the point that Jerusalem, in its 3,000-year history, is only at peace when it's shared. Sadly, for, the most, for most of its history, People have tried to possess it absolutely. And the main reason for this is the temple is there. Muslims want to possess Jerusalem absolutely because Muhammad took his night journey there from Arabia on a strange winged creature. Christian crusaders wanted to possess Jerusalem Jerusalem, absolutely because the temple was God's, not Allah's. And after all, Jesus was crucified there. Jews wanted to possess Jerusalem absolutely because it's David's city. And the temple is the center of worship. Why is this important to us Christians today? Well, if anything, it helps us understand, if even just a little bit more. You know, because the situation there is complex. It's complicated, just as it is in Afghanistan. If we can understand just a little bit more why things are the way they are right now, then perhaps our reading today from 2 Corinthians can give us more hope, more faith, and more peace in our hearts. It was intended to give more hope, faith, and peace in the hearts of His chosen people Israel when God announced to them that He would be their God and He would live among them in their hearts. There would be no, no more need for him to dwell in a temple. This was even before he sent Jesus to be the Messiah. For a time, God lived among his people in the tabernacle. Remember that, uh, that portable tent the Israelites took with them everywhere they went on their 40-year journey in the desert? Centuries later, though, when David was king, David said to the people, Why are we worshiping God in a tent? Let's build him a temple on the top of the hill. Well, God didn't ask for that. He didn't ask David to do that. That was David's idea. And if you remember the story, God didn't permit David to build a temple. He he frustrated David's plans. But he did permit David's son Solomon to build a temple in Jerusalem but not as a confined space for God to live in and be among his people. He'd already ma- God had already made the decision that the people would be the temple. And the apostle Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth that this is still the case. He tells them, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them And walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This isn't so that we can all go our own way because God lives in each one of us, and there isn't any need to be a church. It's to say that there isn't a temple we must possess absolutely, either in Jerusalem or where we live, in order that our God has to be among us or is able to be among us. Together, we are His church, the body of Christ. Each one of us is a temple to be witnesses to those who do not believe. At the same time, we are temples for the Lord, declared clean by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we are not to defile ourselves with sin. A good example... And one which Paul uses in this this reading is this unequaled yoke thing. You know, what advantage would it be to the Christian to be married or joined together in marriage to someone who doesn't believe in Christ? What advantage to the Christian? Right. I mean, would it be so that one day the unbelieving spouse would believe well, that's a nice thought, that's a nice hope and wish, and one could certainly pray for that, but there's no guarantee that that would ever happen. And the disadvantage is that the the opposite would happen, that the believer would succumb to the influence of the faithless and degrade or even lose their own faith. The Holy Spirit calls us to faith and to break us from the things which would compromise our life with Jesus. The bad news is, we often pollute this temple with images, messages, and substances which are contrary to Christ. And if you're confused about what those things might be, then just consider who Jesus is all about. Just consider what He is, who He is, And what he's all about, right? Is he about death? Your death? No, he came to give you life. And give it abundantly. So don't defile your brain, your heart, and your body with messages and images of death. Don't be obsessed with it. What about Jesus' purity? You know, is he about philandering? loose and easy lusts of, of, the, of, the, of the flesh and passions yeah. and all that stuff. No, he's about righteousness between men and women for the purposes of holiness, wholesomeness, fruitfulness of the earth, and to glorify him. So don't defile this temple... That is you with behaviors and acts or fill your brain and heart with images and messages of anything other than what Jesus is or stands for. Do we know Jesus to be a possessor of things absolutely? Well, if we're talking about him possessing us absolutely, the answer would be yes, but not for the same reasons we want to possess the things of this earth absolutely. We want control of things. We want things to go our way. Jesus wants the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that He be our God and we be His people. We are His children, the people of His pasture. He loves us and wants us to be His own. Not out of, of ravenous desire to control us, but a mutual relationship built on love and trust. So Paul is saying, don't defile this temple of the Lord with a desire to possess absolutely some temple or territory for God. He doesn't require that for us or from us. He's taken away that burden from us. And sadly, there have been many through the ages and many today who haven't read that memo or heard that memo from God. Or if they have, they don't believe it or even understand it we see this today in the church a desire to build and control sanctuary buildings temples absolutely or possess absolutely the church's pot or pots of money to control it for oneself or one's own desire and of host a host of other things to possess you know a program a ministry you get the picture The good news is God's promises are sure even when we are unfaithful. God calls us to claim the promises of forgiveness, life everlasting, and righteousness as our own because He dwells in us. We are His temple. We are temples of the Lord. Our relationship with Jesus is intimate because we, as believers, Are the temple of the living God. We are not made to be lone rangers or wandering, isolated sheep. We are made to be together, die together, and live together under the loving care and dominion of God. I'm reminded when one of our sister churches burned almost to the ground. Sadly, there were some members of that church who never came back. But those who were faithful came back again and again to gather around God's Word and the Lord's Supper in the parking lot. And later, for practical reasons, at a local school gymnasium to stay out of the elements. Not because they they believed God could only dwell among them in a temple, it's because they knew they are the temple and they could still be the church anywhere they chose to gather together. So, my friends, I'm going to leave you in the good hands of Pastor Rich while I take some much-needed time off to gather my thoughts and recharge for another thrilling year of word and sacrament ministry in these pandemic conditions. No doubt the world isn't going to stop its craziness just because I'm taking some time off. Every day will have its troubles until the last day. So, hang on, my friends. In the meantime, take to heart that we are a temple in which our God dwells among us. He's not far off, even though the world seems like it's spinning out of control. He's still got us in his hands, and he has you and me in his loving care. May you have confidence and trust in his love for you. Amen.